Good morning, everyone. Since um, our first reading from the prophet Isaiah that we hear from, uh, those folks had, uh, the people had been um, in captivity. And uh, based on what the reading says, they had done something that incurred uh, the lot they were in. Because it tells us uh, God gave them double, if you will, uh, the punishment. And, uh, but uh, it begins with comfort my people. And what the, the prophet does is he tells them that God has not forgotten them. God has not left them. And that he's coming. And uh, St. Peter uh, explains the reason why it seems like Christ is delayed coming. And they thought in his time, uh, especially Paul, that Christ would return very, very quickly. And when that wasn't happening, they began to figure out We've misread something. We didn't understand. So Peter says, you know, he's coming, and it's going to change, but uh, not according to our timeline. And uh, in the second Sunday of Advent, we hear about uh, John the baptizer and uh, uh, his words. And last night, uh, and I'm always careful of how I joke about John the baptizer, but I said, uh, by our standards, he would have been considered a salty person. <laughs> um, you know, and then I said, and the reason why is because he lived in the desert, and he ate bugs, and uh, he had, you know, rough clothing on. So, uh, but, uh, <laughs> and he certainly dealt with the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, when you read the other things that he did, that's why I say he was kind of a salty person. But my friend says, so we, um, we hear about... Um, Jerusalem, and of, of course, uh, the readings, uh, the first reading, second reading, uh, I cannot help but think about what is happening in the Middle East, particularly in the Holy Lands, and uh, how much uh, someone needs to stand up and speak words of comfort to all, all who are suffering. And there is Israel, and there is Jerusalem, and there is Nazareth, there is Bethlehem, and there is uh, Gaza, there is the West Bank, and there is much suffering. And everyone there needs to know that they're not alone. But my friends, uh, this first line then, uh, comfort, give comfort to my people. God was speaking tenderly to Jerusalem, and uh, it is true that the prophecy was directed to the people of Jerusalem when it was written. But we can take a look at this Jerusalem uh, that is spoken about in the readings. And that first one is one of the most obvious ones, the city uh, that was uh, Israel's ancient capital. Uh, when Isaiah was giving this prophecy, uh, it was in ruins because the Jews had been conquered and exiled by the Babylonians. And uh, the prophet is telling the people that, as I said, God has not forgotten them. And he will bring them uh, out of this. And uh, the deed done from days long past, whatever it was, um, is now past. And he brings comfort in those troubled days. But it reminds them of God's faithfulness. Even though they were unfaithful, he would be faithful. The second Jerusalem, uh, so to speak, um, reminds us that Jesus will fulfill his promise and come again. And this is what Peter is talking about. And uh, 
he will bring, and then we'll find this also uh, by John, the evangelist, he will speak in this way also, a new heavenly Jerusalem that is to come. But in order to accept this, you must uh, also come to the place that the ancient ones did too, meaning in ancient Israel. They had to come to understand God's promises and that he was faithful to it, even though it seemed different or it seemed like he had forgotten, or that he had left them. We must also do the same. Uh, we, can, we cannot look smugly back and say, we wouldn't have done that, because that's not true, because Christians have done that. They have forgotten about God's faithfulness. They have forgotten the promises that he has made. And you know this by the way they act. Believing in Christ's promises gives us Christians not only hope, but comfort also, because it shows that the trials and sufferings and disappointments of this world will not last forever. My friends, in the truth of the matter is we find from Paul uh, in Romans 8, all things, all things work for the good of the one by God. Either you believe this or you do not. And it does not mean that we don't take actions ourselves, but either you understand this and you accept it or you do not. And your behavior will tell me and others what side of that you are on. All your responses, how you live your life, especially in times of trials and challenges. Either you believe what Paul has said in Romans or you don't. And we got to get to that place where you do believe. And that brings me then to that third Jerusalem, the Christian heart, for now, is Jerusalem. John the Baptist proclaimed his prophecy to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to not only a city, but to the people in it to individual people like you and I. And Paul tells us in his writings that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit now. And the temple back then was not only the heart of a city, it was the city. Thus we could say then that every Christian soul, their heart is a sacred city, a holy Jerusalem. And then perhaps... From God's perspective, this is the Jerusalem that is most important now. And where is that that Jesus ultimately was heading in the scriptures? Remember when he's in the garden, he stands up and he faces Jerusalem and marches towards it. Yes, I'm taking a lot of graces here and working and stretching things. So then is he not heading for your heart? I'm putting forth that your heart is Jerusalem for now. And he faced that direction and went there. So he is coming. He's coming. John the Baptist stressed, it is up to each one of us then to prepare a path to that Jerusalem. This is an idea that the people of John's time knew very well. One of the things about the ancient cities that they would do was when they heard an important ruler or king was coming, 
uh, they fixed all the roads and uh, made it easier for them to get there, and they cleaned up all the trash. Sometimes we do that when someone important is coming to a city and they hide their trash. Of late, it is those who are homeless and poor. That is not the type of trash that Jesus was, would be pleased with being called that. We would understand it differently than the ancient ones did. But they would, out of sign of respect and honor for the person, they would um, make the pass, get all the rocks out of the way, get all the debris out. Christ is our king, and he is coming. Should we not then be attentive to making his pathway easier, making those valleys different, using the words of Isaiah? How do you do that then? Perhaps the valleys stand for the sins of omission. The things that we should be doing but are not doing. Not spending time with family. Not regularly taking part in the sacraments to rejuvenate one's soul by God's graces. About forgiveness and mercy, offering it immediately. If you are not extending kindness, you need to. What about the mountains that Isaiah referred to? Let us say mountains of selfishness and sinful habits that have been built up over time to mountains. These are sins of commission. And my friends, what are those? when we gossip and criticize, when we pay heed to those voices of racism and discrimination and bigotry, self-indulgence and selfishness. You simply put on the TV, you will see that. You are told that in commercials. You need this. Amazon has it. How do you treat family members and friends and co-workers and strangers? Do you look upon them with disdain? If so, it's time to take that mountain down. This is also preparing a pathway for the king to come into your hearts. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Friends, we need to pray, we need to make sure that pathway is open for his travels. For us as Roman Catholics, the sacraments are another way in which we do this. Sacraments are conduits for God's grace for us, and they help us. If you are not living a sacramental life, uh, you're casting off a direct pathway for Christ. And during Advent, uh, maybe start coming to daily Mass. Maybe be more regular at Sunday Masses. Of course, the ones I need to hear that are not here. But they will be at Christmas. 
perhaps you make a trip to the sacrament of reconciliation to be relieved of those sins. Christ wants to remove them so that you can move forward. Hmm? Spend time. Uh, on Thursdays, we have adoration. Uh, after COVID, uh, before COVID, we would have adoration from right after Mass until um, 5 p.m. But we can't do that anymore because we don't have the adorers coming in. Adorers are you, people who come in and pray. Uh, the church says there must be two people at all times when in adoration. The only exception is for the priest or the deacon. Um, so when we have adoration, we can't continue it. Some parishes have it 24-7. God bless them. We have people who 24-7, that means someone at 2 o'clock in the morning, now someone, two someones, <laughs> are in praying. And fasting. The runes, uh, the reason why the color is bluish-purple, one, to have a sense of hope, but it still has purple, and purple is also a sign of repentance and conversion. And Advent has that. We never, never think about Advent that way. Oh, no, no, we're thinking about how we're going to wrap the present, so it looks pretty. Uh, but um, fasting, and not just from food, but from all the bad habits, and, uh, and acting out in ways that are not appropriate. You know, maybe, maybe cutting back a little bit on your gaming time, maybe cutting back a little bit on that YouTube, maybe cutting back a little bit on Instagram. I have a friend uh, who keeps sending me. I don't have Instagram, so he sends me, here, look at this Instagram, and usually I can't see it because I don't have Instagram. And I keep telling him I don't have Instagram. But he continues to send it. And I said, what is it? And he tells me, I'm like, I don't have time for that foolishness. <laughs> well, here are some of the things. These are some of the ways for that metaphorical Jerusalem, your heart. Open the way. Don't make it more difficult for Christ to come. And these are the ways we begin to prepare. If we do this, uh, not only are we preparing our own hearts, but we begin to prepare the world for his coming. Oh, my friends, um, here in our parish, um, we have uh, sacramental programs, we have faith formation, we have Bible study, we have everything you need. When Mark wrote his gospel, it wasn't just a book to him. It was that, but it was much more. He wasn't just trying to pass on information to you. He was trying to get you to experience, to understand. And in the faith formation programs we have, we do the same thing. We're just not passing on information to the child. We've developed it in a way that it's experiential because that's the way it's going to work and that's the way it's going to hold. Uh, so uh, the faith formation program, if you haven't been listening particularly for confirmation, the age changed. It's now 6th and 7th graders. It's no longer the teenagers. They are really angsty. You know how teenagers are at 17, 18. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and they're right. <laughs> but the little ones are more open. Their hearts are open. Uh, so uh, if you have children and they're ready for uh, sacramental prep, um, particularly around confirmation, I think it ends on the 15th of this month, the sign-up process. So get them in there. Get them. And again, it's not just information. It's informative. But uh, Benedict XVI, the Emeritus Pope, he said, uh, it is not just information. It is just, it's performative. It changes and transforms. 
and everything. <laughs> Brother, did I wake you up from your nap? It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. Someone said, oh, I fall asleep during your homily. I'm like, I'm just glad you're here. If you want to take a nap in the presence of Jesus Christ, you go right ahead. <laughs> so, brother, you go right ahead. I am not upset at all. I'm happy that you are here. Maybe other priests would be angry about it. I'm not angry about that. He's here. He's with us. He's with his family. How can you be angry? How can you have anger about that? Huh? So let us remember with these Gospels. And the other thing is, I like to remind people, the Gospel of Mark is the first one written. It's also the shortest. He begins by telling you exactly what he needs you to know. Jesus Christ, Christ in their word, is Christos, means Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting for. And by the way, he happens to be the Son of God. Bam! <laughs> he hits you right in the face with it. Why? Because John the baptizer... There hadn't been a prophet before him for 400 years, so they thought he was the Messiah. Uh, Mark's like, nope. But even John tells you, not me. I am not worthy even to put on his shoes. It's someone else. But all of this is, Mark wants you to be experiencing. This is what we do at with the Mass and the sacraments and studying so that you just have it in your head. That doesn't do you any good, really. It has to clear a pathway to the heart, to that Jerusalem, so that you will live it out. And my friends, of late, um, the world needs to hear a message of hope. And it's going to have to come for us, from us. But if you're not a vessel of that hope, how are you going to give it to anybody? You can't give them what you do not have. So have hope. Believe in the promises of Jesus Christ. Believe his Father and what he said. This is what I mean, Romans 8. What, it's really tough right now, Father, and you better... Yes, but all things work. Do you believe this or not? That's why I made a point about it. I got to get you there. Because it will rule over your decisions and how you react and respond, and people are watching. My friends, one of the things that has been on my heart is that there are people who feel that they are alone. And last night, I said something that probably could have been misunderstood, and I said, perhaps maybe what we need to do first for those people is not tell them that God loves them, but tell them that they're not alone, because they're not open to hear that other one yet. But if you... Let them know that they're not alone. And then tell them, God has sent me. And here is the other message. He loves you. And then they'll be open to it. And my friends, uh, as it is, the Holy Spirit works in different ways. Our youth minister approached the parish with, um, how about if our youth make Christmas cards and give them to those who are homebound? and alone. So they did it. So the homebound ministers are taking Christmas cards. And I suspect for some of them that will be the only one that they get. And the message will be, you have not been forgotten and you are not alone. Merry Christmas, St. Nicholas Catholic Parish. 